it's just such an interesting blend because there's 10 different artists, vastly different approaches. And it's just a really eclectic way of showing how people can respond in an artistic fashion. I wanted to have a collection that people could take out of the museum because the museums are our property. And I thought, oh, that's just a missed opportunity isn't it like that's a great way to bring lgbtq history into the museum and to talk about that and it's sort of been it's been missed straight away i knew that that's what i would be interested in doing here this is arty party today we are recording on location at the bose museum it's a museum based over just south of durham Famously, the Bose family is some of the lineage of the royal family. The Queen Mother was a Bose. But today, at the Bose Museum, an exhibition of a different kind is being presented. It's the hashtag Untitled 10 exhibition, inviting 10 artists from across the UK to respond to the themes and the objects in the museum. who's invited me to come see this exhibition is one of the artists involved, Joe Howell. Hello, I'm Joe Howell. <laughs> Joe Howell, you're a photographic artist. I am. On Artie Party a few times. I have. So yeah, I've been on Artie Party and uh, an firm avid supporter of Artie Party. And if anybody else isn't on it, then you really should go and check out on the Patreon and start, you know, supporting Artie Party and Jay to do these fantastic podcasts and his show. God, I love you, Joe. I, I mention your name every single episode. Oh, that's so sweet. You've just become a $6 a month member. I know, I'm proud. Which means you get to decide whether you're going to get a t-shirt or a tote bag or a mug. Ooh, ooh, I'll have a mug because ooh, okay. I love coffee um, and it'll be used the most. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, thanks, Jim. Please tell the world about Untitled 10 and about the Bose Museum. Please tell the world what incredibly good values the money did. Last year, at the end of the process, our digital manager for Bose Centre, Paul Amuro, said to me, the best thing about Untitled 10 for me, Matthew, is the 10 minutes the collective nature of the artists working, I wouldn't say working together, you have to ask them, but it's kind of like a memoration of starlings. It's the law of attraction and the law of repulsion at the same time. And I didn't really get what Paula was saying, but that statement stuck in the back of my mind, that that's what Bose is about. It's about social function. We, again, we 
And Title 10 is a commission that's run by the Bose Museum, where they're looking for 10 artists to respond to objects in the museum collection. I won a place. So did the other artists who you're going to listen to. There's Lady Kit, Richard Bliss, Andrew Hutchinson. Look, hang on, I've got a book. I can remember everybody's <laughs> names. Um, so, yeah, we've got Jim Bond, Claire Baker, Caroline Collinge, and Judy DeBase and Kate Ive. They're from all over the country. Um, Kate's actually based up in Edinburgh, and Judy's based down in London. Richard, Caroline, Claire, Lady Kate, and myself and Sarah are all based in the northeast so it's quite nice to have a northeast venue investigated by northeast artists but also nice to have that kind of outside viewpoint as well on how somebody who's never been involved with a collection would would view it i think it's participatory it's about time it's what museums should be doing working with regional artists and i'm so proud of the sunderland artists for engaging with this process. Museums should be living, not dead. There's some amazing things. I've I've visited this place quite a few times. I've seen some fantastic visiting exhibitions. There are some amazing things here, but I I think you need to bring the past bang up to date with the present and the future. So artists like Joe, it's, it's what they should be doing. I just hope it's accessible to lots and lots of people. You know, feel really lucky to come down here today, but it's a bit of a trek from Sunderland. So I hope there are ways that people can come out for the day. Barnard Castle's beautiful, it's a lovely place. Really come up, come and see things here and, and make the most of all the, the market town and the countryside. Hiya, I am Kit, Lady Kit. I am a maker. I do a lot of stuff out of paper. I do performances as well, mostly as a drag king. And I do... A spot of research as well so I will find an art thing that I'm interested in and then I will do some research about it not art practice research more thinking about how something works in terms of art how great it is that it's 10 artists you mean 10 rather than one or two or 10 rather than more than 10 well both it's a good number but definitely how nice it is that it's a group of artists as opposed to one individual artist. Because I really feel like the experience of doing it has been made so much better and more interesting by having other people around who are going through this same experience. And just like the conversations that we've had and not even the conversations I've been part of, just like the conversations I've overheard other artists having and that sharing our different experiences of this place is really exciting and really lovely. It's definitely made me think about my practice in a different way. Definitely much more interested in applying for opportunities that are more like this, where an organisation brings a community of creative people together to do some stuff as opposed to, oh, we'll just commission one artist to do this thing which can be nice and really valuable, but I have really loved the, the tenness of it. It's been dead good, yeah. What does it mean to you then, Joe, to be one of these 10 artists selected, as you say, from around the UK mm-hmm. to 
respond to the Bose Museum? I was absolutely over the knot um, when I got it. With it being a commission that you have to kind of apply for, there's already a little bit of a hurdle that you have to get over to even get through the door. So you're kind of already getting a pat on the back just because you've been allowed to take part. For me, I've been allowed to use my voice a little bit more strongly in this project. As you know from the past, I work a lot on participation, which is absolutely brilliant, but sometimes my voice as the artist is possibly not as loud as it should be and in this sense I've had a really good time yeah there's quite a lot of funding around if you can easily adapt your practice towards participation but also you kind of run the risk of losing that kind of strong artistic vision as well in the midst of everybody else's voices so it's been really interesting for me to just be able to focus in and just kind of do my work and have my point of view straight away like out there on the front Um, and I think it's worked so I might try it again. (laughs) You have all noticed and drooled over the 200 cups at Judy Dibier's in the entrance hall. They're free. You can take those things away but of course there's no such thing as a free lunch. What we want in exchange for that is your stories that are inspired by those so we can keep the thing rolling. So there are postcards that are linked to those cups by numbers on the back of them. Please take a card, take a cup, leave us with your story. Hi, I'm Judy Tobias. I'm a ceramic artist who works with memories and stories. It's been really exciting, slightly daunting, working with the Bose Museum. So it's been really good to come in and be able to explore different stories and different aspects of maybe what's on is being presented. All of my work is very much about how objects tell stories and I'm very interested in museums as a concept. The fact that museum collections are for us. The Bose Museum was set up with the premise it was for the people and it was the premise it was going to be open on Saturdays so the common person could come along and visit the museum. So I wanted to have a collection that people could take out of the museum because the museums are our property we in a sense do have that relationship and ownership but there is a distance that occurs which means people feel they can't come to museums and can't experience the things that are in here or somehow we're detached from them and they're too precious so that was kind of the premise of the 200 cups I made with stories about Josephine on them that I wanted people to take away as an exchange for a memory. So I'm really interested in objects and stories which I think museums give us. So I think museums are really live things and really important but I think there can be a distance that can be set up between people where they don't think it's their space and they don't belong there. What I would like to do is to take the memories and stories and make work from the memories and stories and then resituate them into the museum setting. I'd also like to just take the stories and, and what I've done is each cup has got a postcard and you put your memory on the back so I've got a record of the cup and the postcard so I'd actually kind of like somehow to put that maybe into a video link so you can see that. So memory, name image of cup that's gone and I quite like the fact they've gone on journeys as well so the objects have gone on journeys they've gone somewhere else 
because all of the objects you see here would have been somewhere else. They would have been in someone's home. And ceramics is a very domestic thing. So these all would have been used. They'd have been on someone's mantelpiece. So I'm kind of referencing all of that history as well. Especially as now, it's even more... Because with, with Josephine, there isn't all this written stuff. Yeah, yeah. And nowadays, where everything's online, there's going to be even less, I think, an archive of written, surviving mm. material mm. going mm. forward. Mm. So possibly objects will become kind of even more... Vital. Vital yeah. to recording history and yeah, our story. Your yes, stories. People yes. will be trying to work you out from, <laughs> from this thing. From this. Because your Instagram about? won't exist anymore. No, exactly. Exactly. And we won't have the letters. Maybe our objects will hold more of that. good to get it out of the way well as always with these things very busy times so tend to sort of think on the hoof about what this represents I think that's the most difficult thing here it's easy to describe it as a mechanism as ten things that are happening but of course the question is what does it all mean and what does it mean to the future and the development of the Bose Museum which is all we're here for we're only here to make sure this institution uh, ploughs on into the 21st century successfully. So there must be places where the lace is produced, though. Yeah, um, yeah I'm sure there's a Kimiok island. So Ireland, don't know where this country, there must be another way you can go and so if you wanted to commission like a, a lace piece, where would you go then? Somewhere in Nottingham. Nottingham. Really? And it's still there is still places. It's a long time since It's amazing to be able to work in such a building. It's very, very grand. And it's a real opportunity to show your work somewhere different but also the fact that it's with the work that inspired it so that's really exciting it's really exciting to work with other artists that I would never have met otherwise so the other nine artists have all been influential I would say and the work that we've produced is so different so I think it's kind of diverse outcomes it makes a really interesting exhibition and the fact that everybody's work was inspired by a different area or a different story around Boars tonight it makes me feel quite um, as though I'm worthwhile gives me a bit of kudos I think which is always nice I'm Claire and I am a textile artist who specialises in embroidery. I've been practising since before I graduated as a mature student, slightly mature student I'll say, 2005 and alongside teaching so I also lecture at the Northern School of Art. So my practice is 95% divided to research 
artistic work in Chernobyl Exclusion Zone. So I have an exhibition, a solo exhibition on at the minute in Hartlepool Art Gallery, which is about that. So this work at Bowes was really a chance for me to see if I could still do other things. Completely different from that, which I think I have, but there's still an underlying parallel in terms of loss of traditional craft, legacy, regional design, really, in terms of my work in Chernobyl Exclusion Zone is all about the obsolescence of the community, the dying out, the very old now, but there's a wealth of kind of embroidery in every house that remains in the exclusion zone in Chernobyl. So it's my intention to really to try and extend the life of it in some way, perhaps archiving. Richard Bliss is doing the working man's shirt, so he's basically honouring all of the workmen who might have built the museum or helped maintain it, which obviously aren't really as present in the objects themselves. So that's a nice nod to the working class people. Caroline's been mainly influenced by the architectural designs and drawings of the building and taken a really interesting Japanese paper style on that. Um, I chose the botany cabinet as my object to launch into the project. A botany cabinet, well we don't have them now because it's a ridiculously posh thing to have. So the botany cabinet's a Georgian piece of furniture with beautiful walnut carvings and things on it, but it was used to house plants. So it was literally, it was for botany specimens, so there'd be like water and seedlings and all those kind of things in it. So it really piqued my interest because it's such a weird object. Like there's no way that you would be putting all your plants in a beautiful wooden cabinet these days. But of course, it just shows the signs of the times. If you had the money, then you could spend it on beautiful botany cabinets. So the botany cabinet was the object that brought us into the project, but what it led us to research was the life of the person who owned the botany cabinet. What I found my interest is quite often in creating artworks in the landscape and of the landscape. But as a side note, what started happening was finding out this really interesting feminist story about the owner. So Mary Ellen Bowes was a long-distant relationship with the Queen, and she was the richest heiress at the time and she hung around with people called the Blue Stockman Brigade which was basically women who just wanted to learn and access institutions so there's this really interesting kind of story of suffrage that's attached to the botany cabinet that I found really quite symbolic and I just thought that we should highlight these stories of heroines from the past to kind of reclaim them, to claim them back. Mary Ellen Bowes was uh, particularly unlucky due to the patriarchy at the time. In Georgian times, she was obviously a husband's property. That's how it was. And she had a prenup that stopped her husband from getting all of the money, which he didn't like, obviously. And so he spent about eight years kind of forcing her to write the confessions of the Countess of Strathmore and vilifying her in newspapers and taking her kids away from it, like really, really heinous kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, she was one of the first women to get a divorce and to retain her property. So all of that's wrapped in in this absolutely mad botanical cabinet because obviously objects have stories and lives. <laughs> that her story thing, let's reclaim all of those female stories that are maybe kind of misrepresented or just non-existent in, in the public.
I then went upstairs to meet Judy DeBias, who made this collection of 200 cups that we were talking about earlier, which visitors to the Untitled 10 exhibition were invited to take away in exchange for memory. And she was chatting with Emanuela Roth, who is reading a collaborative doctoral project with the Bose Museum and Durham University. Both of their work is focused on Josephine Bose. Josephine was one of the two founders of the Bose Museum, alongside her husband, John Bose. And when I went upstairs to meet Judy, they were both talking very excitedly about how their practice was aligned around Josephine Bose. For me, as soon as I see someone taking an interest in Josephine and doing something great, I'm like, so excited! Oh, that's really good! I'm not the only one who cares a lot about that. There's others! Yeah, it's exciting. And what, what Kit is doing as well is really exciting. Like, especially yeah. when you do a PhD, you do something which people are like, oh, that's so niche. It's like, is it? It's a massive museum. It's the founder. Like, it's not that niche. But inevitably, you rarely come across someone who's kind of as passionate about your subject as you are. So when you stumble across someone who's done, you know, a whole installation on the person that you are very interested in and such an exciting imaginative creative thing which I'm definitely going to run downstairs in a minute and make sure I get one of these cups (laughs) but no it's super exciting and I think we're doing Josephine a bit of justice and like I'm just loving meeting these women who have a similar passion to me and in our own different ways we're in our own form and how we can do it and again we're coming back to not just using words in the same way that through objects through I'm going to be looking at kind of music and her theatre and her costume and you know other things beyond beyond the written word so no it's super exciting and thank you for also you know, continuing the conversation, you're part of this too, like, it's not just yeah. us. <laughs> um, yeah, oh, I so think it's, it's, yeah. it's these women in history who are not necessarily being, I mean, there's far more who are not recognised, who don't even hit, hit the historic radar, really. Yeah. So we have to explore the ones who are there, yeah. who we have got evidence for, because there would have been thousands who would have just gone under the radar. And so we owe it to the ones who at least hit the radar to push it as far as we can. Absolutely. And that's what I'm finding in my... When I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago, digging up these archives of all these forgotten female artists. Yeah. In fairness, like, generally artists get, in that sense, in terms of theatre performers, actors, aren't as well-remembered because their art's quite ephemeral and quite... So there is that element, but there's still obviously gender issues at play Um, and so I'm discovering all these stories about other women which haven't been looked at yet and and Josephine is making that happen because by inspiring this project these other people are getting a look in and and so it's yeah it's it's unearthing other stories and her story or her itage or whatever you want to call it Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah I love a bit of wordplay I've been very interested in Josephine Bowes and her collecting and her relationship with little information about her, really. But obviously she's key to the building and she's particularly key to the ceramics collection. That's what drew me to her as a, as a woman. And I wanted to find out more about why she collected, her relationship with objects, how she perceived objects, because 
it's a very definite relationship. And so I was kind of looking for that kind of evidence, really. You can't help it if you're uh, a woman practitioner to be very aware of women who are, well, for me, she was interested in ceramics. Why was she interested in ceramics? This is the biggest European collection of ceramics. So that was my attraction to her. But I just think as a, a woman, you, you are naturally attracted to finding out about women who were interested in objects, who were interested in, in historical connections. So, yeah, I wanted to find out more. And obviously, I've just touched the surface. It's just been such a small project. But I just want to know why. Why did you want to collect all this stuff? I'm Emmanuelle Roth. Uh, I'm doing a collaborative doctoral project between Durham University and the Bose Museum. I'm just coming into my second year. And Josephine Bose is the sort of inspirational case study to the project. So obviously women historically have often been overlooked. And also popular theatre, which is what Josephine was doing before she married John and moved here, has also been largely overlooked because musicologically high art and so opera and what was considered to be worthy of academic pursuit has been researched and low art popular theatre hasn't. So both from an academic musicological perspective of popular theatrical history and from a female history, there's a big gap. This is why you don't know that Josephine was a, a cross-dressing actor. No, no, this information isn't available. We don't have to dig to get yeah. and it should right. be. And we right. don't have to dig to get John's yeah. at all. No. So we have to really hunt to find yeah. the real Josephine yeah. and Josephine's story and why did she do these things. Yeah. Whereas... John's is kind of laid out for us like yeah. a, a seamless yeah. line. Both because at the time he was documenting it a lot yeah. more as a man yes. and because historically people have been more interested in him and that's yeah. who he's been written about. Yeah, I'm trying to dig up a bit of the dirt quite literally on, on Josephine. Do that through, if I can't find more written documentation, I can look at her portraiture and her yeah. collection. You know, yeah. her yeah. stage name was Mademoiselle Delorme which is the name of a 17th century courtesan. And a play at the time, a popular theatrical play by Victor Hugo, was called Marion Delorme. So she's almost certainly chosen a stage name that is about a courtesan, so a sex worker. So, you know, that is an identity that she was very much associating herself with at one point. And similarly, the portrait of her, the white dress, the official portrait, is... The yeah. one of her in a white dress at the table with yes, the scripts yes, yes, and the yes, dogs. Yes, yeah. That is basically a reimagination of the, the Madame Pompadour painting mm, yeah. at the National Gallery, if you look at them. And Pompadour was a famous mistress. She was like, one mm. of the royal king mistresses. And Judith sort of pointed this out, that of Josephine's collections of the paintings in her room, one of them, again, looks like probably was Madame Pompadour. And if you look at her book collection, she's got so many books written by courtesans and women who would have been mistress. So I'm seeing this kind of celebration of this, even if it's on the personal, private level and not in a public. There's kind of hints to this. And so, you know, is this kind of lack of knowledge about her life before she got here? And even if it isn't, we still want to know about it. <laughs> and yeah. it's time to, to, to dig a little deeper. Yeah. So. Yeah. But yeah. there's so little to access. And from here, there's lots of information that needs to be 
brought out publicly. Because oh, if you look at Kit's thing over there, which is amazing, the Sappho staff, you know, they talk about being queer and, and you know, I love the bows, but how do I fit in here? Yeah. The story needs to be yeah. told. And, you know, talking about the fact that Josephine was a cross-dressing artist and had this kind of queer aesthetic in terms yeah. of mm. breaches, roles and things like that. And, you know, this amazing statue of Sappho like, that they presumably collected. Yes. 1848, yes. Josephine's alive and well. Yeah. What are these stories? Like, where, what's going on there? <laughs> Let's talk about that, because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm done with the Goya. Like, it's great, <laughs> but, like... Yeah. Exciting. Yeah. I grew up coming here a lot. Yeah, so I grew up in Bishop Auckland, which is just down the road. There's quite like an important moment for me that I had here at this museum. They had an exhibition years ago, 96 or something, maybe. In some ways, it's quite similar to Untitled 10, actually, that invited artists to either bring work and install it or create work in response to things in the museum. And it was a really, one of those moments where you just go, whoa, this is what art can be. I think I might love this. Like, I think I might want to do this. Ah. So it's really special to be one of these artists and come back here as an adult and as a practicing artist to this place where I had one of those kind of magical, oh my God, I think I want to do art moments. So it's, it's been dead special. I think like any of those things, it sort of hits you in phases, doesn't it? So, <laughs> so when I heard about the opportunity, I thought, whoa, that, that's astonishing, isn't it? Because that place is like really special to me. And then when I found out that I was one of the 10 artists, I was <gasps> <gasps> And then there have been points along the way where I've had that <gasps> feeling. Yeah, and, and obviously tonight is one of those as well because here it is you know I came in and I went upstairs and I saw my work and I was like whoa here it is <laughs> yeah it's pretty special Lady Kate I love this project has focused in on Sappho for those of you who might know who Sappho is she's very important in ancient Greece she basically set up the island of Lesbos which was mainly for women or you know liberal minded people Sappho is quite an important gay icon in particular like for lesbians I keep talking about oh, Sappho my mate Sappho but uh, yeah, not everybody knows who Sappho is, obviously. So <laughs> Sappho was a Greek poet, 5th century BC, and she wrote these really like astonishing poems about all sorts of stuff. But there's like a big body of love poems, um, and they're to men and to women. And so she has become this sort of queer icon. And... I was quite interested in the fact that there's basically none of that in the museum's interpretation upstairs. So the text by that amazing statue is incredibly coy about the fact that she was probably bisexual and there's just like not really anything about that there at all. And I thought, oh, that's just a missed opportunity, isn't it? Like that's a great way to bring LGBTQ history into the museum and to talk about that. And it's sort of been, it's been missed straight away I knew that that's what I would be interested in doing here. In the museum collection it's not really discussed like that in in the way that the descriptions are written it's kind of you know she was very fond of women is the way that they've kind of written it. 
I understand the trouble that um, a museum might have about possibly discussing these things. What I found interesting about Lady Kitt's project was the fact that we get to start having these dialogues about, again, all of these people who were missing from the stories. She was a lesbian. Let's celebrate that. She loved women. She wrote poetry. Fantastic. Why can't we write that on the description? In response to the very coy interpretation about Sappho and who she is, I've made this great big huge bright pink and purple paper shrine to Sappho (laughs) and also created some performance work in collaboration with an amazing performance collective called DGA who are based in Newcastle. If we're wanting to have an inclusive society then we can't ignore the fact that we are different and these many differences are what make us brilliant. To suddenly imagine that, oh, well, you know, there was only heterosexuality up until up until very recently is, is insane. Kind of whitewashing it out of our history is, is something that we do need to address, and Lady Kid's done it in a really fun kind of fashion. <laughs> I think initially I was just thinking about, well, who's Sappho to me and my response and a contemporary kind of reading of, of who she is. But the more I thought about it, the more research I did the more I was really interested in the way that she's been so variously portrayed. There was a certain view of Sappho and she was this sort of very tragic character um, and a lot of stuff kind of depicts her about to commit suicide, like half toppling off a cliff. I mean, historians disagree about most stuff about Sappho because really there's just not much there about her. There's her work and there's not much left of that. And there are people centuries after she died talking about how astonishing her work was, how amazing she was, how idiotic she was, you know, wide variety of ideas about her. Really, like, astonishingly different ideas of who she was and what she was up to. So there are all these historical ideas of of who she was. And then there's just her amazing poetry. So I was talking about this shrine that I've made upstairs and I've made some figures of her underneath that. I've made a big paper boat and I've just cut some of her lines of poetry into the boat because I think it's quite important to look at those and and think about how beautiful they are, just understand how beautiful they are and how relevant they still are today as well. I also want to know why she collected particular objects, and I think therefore it's very interesting to hear Maluans talk about the, you know, the Sappho, which they would have collected. If I had dug deeper, I would have found out about Josephine's relationship with cross-dressing. And so therefore I think objects tell us so much about somebody. I wanted to find out more about her because there's so little, as we've established. And, yeah, we, we talk about this as being the collection of John and Josephine Bowes, but there's a lot about him, not much about her. Because until you know about any historical character or anything, you, you can't begin to have a relationship with them or understand what they mean to you or what they mean to your community or highlighting and inviting people to find their own relationship I guess with the objects and also with the stories that resonate with them through those objects. These kind of initiatives with museums 
are really fantastic and it's something that has really been underutilised. So I guess my thing would be saying to the commissioners out there who might be listening, the value that you're going to get from making objects in your collections more visible and to have them interpreted by different people it'll open them up again for lots of new audiences you know sometimes these stories can get a bit still you know let's inject um, some art and creativity into it and yeah museums start doing artist residencies as part of a course <laughs> should there be more of this other museums yeah, oh god yeah so much I think I have two little children five and eight and take them to museums and galleries quite a lot and so often we wander around and I just think oh this is just it might be a lovely museum and there might be interesting stuff in there but it is just being presented through such a white male privileged lens oh man it's the 21st century isn't it that's really disappointing and I, I don't want my kids going to museums where that's the view of history. That you know, it's so restrictive. So uh, yeah, I definitely think museums should be should be doing this. It's really important getting lots of different people in to rummage around and eke out different stories and different ways of experiencing and understanding collections. Yeah. Well, it's nine o'clock here at the Bose Museum and wrapping up at the Untitled 10 exhibition. It's been a pleasure tonight to meet four of the artists who are exhibiting. Of course, you can find out more information about all of the 10 different artists if you search for the hashtag Untitled 10. Lots of information about that. Or, of course, on the Bose Museum website. Joe Howell, the woman who invited me tonight. Have you had fun? I've had so much fun meeting artists, Joe. Good. There's lots of interesting people, isn't there? I think the strength of this exhibition for me is that it is so open and so broad. Mm -hmm. And it entirely depends on the nature of the response from each person. Mm -hmm. So Judy Debye's responding to Josephine Bowes, for instance. Very much going, no, there's that part of of culture, of history that is just not talked about. Women lost to history en masse yeah how can I take that and make it make it something tangible yes through objects yeah that people can take away mm-hmm. and I mean hers is particularly interesting I guess because it's not so much about an individual item in the collection it's about the act of collecting itself which is quite interesting because quite often we overlook things like that oh it's just a collection but if those people didn't bring it together then we wouldn't really know how to read it as one one collection absolutely and then contrast that with people like claire oh yeah claire baker yeah and their responses to more individual processes yeah but on such intricate level Mm -hmm. i mean this is the whole reason i got into art was because of how dynamic and diverse people can approach different things now even if we'd all been forced to respond to the same object i could guarantee you that all of the responses would be really just as diverse as they are now (laughs) joe thank you so much for inviting me to untitled 10 thank you for coming please do eat loads and loads of food in the car (laughs) (laughs) we're back to sunderland now my name's Joe Sykes and this is Arty Party, celebrating participatory arts in the Northeast.
Arty Party is made possible thanks to support from the Arts Council England and the National Lottery Heritage Fund through the Unlock Strand of Sunderland Culture's Great Place Scheme. Also, a quick thank you to our other four Patreon backers. They are Nikki Core, Laura Wells, Stephanie Smith and Tel Irby, as well as Joe Howell, who is the focus of today's Arty Party, that make this podcast possible. We do need your support as well, though. If you can help out even just a dollar a month, it would make the most fantastic difference to us as we try to build Arty Party to be bigger and better. Thank you. <laughs>